Hi, this is Dr. Duncan McCollum, and welcome to McCollum Wellness Radio. Now more than ever, our country needs to learn how to take care of our own health, and it's my mission to empower you on that journey. Please join me each week as I cover these topics and interview experts throughout the field to bring you the answers you need to reach your maximum health potential. Thank you and enjoy the show. Early in Robert Kennedy's career as a board member and attorney for Hudson Riverkeeper, he noticed that populations living closer to coal power plants and cement kilns, which spill large amounts of mercury into the water supply, experienced higher than average cases of autism and other cognitive disorders. When he made this connection with the fact that most vaccines contain mega doses of mercury that are hundreds of times over the safety levels declared by the Environmental Protection Agency, he became very concerned. Mercury is one of the most toxic elements known in our universe, over a thousand times more neurotoxic than lead. Although most vaccines contain mercury, which has been proven by peer-reviewed science to cause severe injury and death, this information has been intentionally left out by government officials, public health regulators, and pharmaceutical companies. It is impossible to make any vaccine 100% safe. They all kill people and cause brain injury. So in 1986, the big pharmaceutical companies proposed to Congress that they be given total immunity from liability for all deaths and injuries caused by their shots. Congress agreed and signed the 1986 National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act. Think of it like this. When you are held responsible for any health issues caused by the product you are selling, you will take considerable effort to make sure it's as safe as possible. Vaccine companies, per the Act of 1986, are no longer held to this standard. So no matter how poorly produced or toxic the ingredients are in each shot, they cannot be sued. In the 1940s, only 6% of the U.S. population suffered from chronic disease. By the year 1986, it was up to 12.8%. And just three years later, in 1989, chronic disease rose to a whopping 54% of the population. 1989 marks the beginning of the chronic disease epidemic and it was also the start to the vaccine generation, when the U.S. started pumping children with a full battery of vaccines. Coincidence? Not according to Bobby Kennedy. Kennedy would also argue that this is what has led to today's autism epidemic. Autism, 100 years ago, affected 1 in 10,000 people. In the year 1986, it was about 1 in 2,500 people. By 1995, 1 in 600 people had autism, and now, today, 1 out of every 34 people suffer with autism. There are over 3.5 million cases in the United States alone. The true reason behind this unbelievably rapid increase in a disorder virtually unknown to mankind 100 years ago is being kept a secret, because if it ever came out, it would totally destroy the vaccine industry. If you enjoyed what you heard in today's interview with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. from the Children's Health Defense and Dr. Daniel Pompa, then go check out their websites linked in the description below. Here we go with the interview. 
One thing I want you to know is that Robert Kennedy has had a neurological problem with his throat, and it's going to be hard to hear him at first, but his voice will level out with time. So just bear with it, and I'm going to try to narrate and bring out the key points that he's saying so that you can fully understand it. Now, those of you that are regular listeners know that I interviewed Dr. Andy Wakefield two weeks ago, and his movie, the 1986, The Act, is coming out, where Dr. Wakefield is going to really show us what happened when Ronald Reagan and signed into legislation the fact that drug companies cannot be held liable for any damage caused by vaccines. In 1989, there was an explosion of vaccines, which Bobby Kennedy Jr. will talk about, and this was the cause of the epidemic that we're seeing today. Huge amount of autoimmune diseases coming out of this, and um, I think this is going to change your perspective. But look for the movie, 1986, The Act. It will be out shortly. It should be known that Bobby Kennedy Jr., Dr. Dan Pompa, and myself are not necessarily anti-vax, but what we are is we are pro-health freedom. Health freedoms are being devastated in this country right now, especially for our children. If you take a look at what they want to do in the future, as well as the amount of vaccines that are being pushed on them, there's a lot of damage being caused, and you will find out about that in this two-episode series. Thank you. I've been a doing environmental litigation since 1984. I started out uh, representing commercial fishermen on the Hudson. I was representing a bunch of these different groups in the provinces of Canada, the states, of the United States, in 2004, 2003, 2005. <clears throat> on the issues, we were suing uh, cement kilns and coal burning power plants for discharging mercury. Two years before, in 2003, FDA published a study that showed that every freshwater fish in North America has dangerous levels of mercury in its flesh, and it struck me at that time that we were living in a science fiction nightmare where my children and the children of virtually every other person who lives in North America can now no longer engage in the seminal primal activity of American youth, which is to go fishing with their father or mother in the local fishing hole and then come home and safely eat the fish. Uh, we were very focused on mercury and on coal ash. And um, so, and I was traveling around the country, you know, at CDC at that time, in another report that showed that one out of every six American women had dangerous levels of mercury in their wombs. CDC at that time um, was acknowledging that environmental mercury was associated with autism. So they didn't. They never admitted that mm -hmm. injectable mercury was, but they were said. But there was a bunch of studies by EPA and others showing that people who lived downwind of coal-burning power plants were much more likely to have children with special education or with autism. There are a lot of studies show that, and that, and the, the culprit, everybody agreed, was mercury. Mm -hmm. If you're really interested in the impacts of mercury exposure to children, you need to look at vaccines because that by far is the largest exposure. And I, it's not something that I wanted to do. I've been involved my whole life. You know, my family was deeply involved in the whole um, movement for rights and treatment for children with intellectual disabilities. My aunt, Eunice Schreiber, who was my godmother, started Special Olympics. 
Uh, I was working at Camp Shriver, which later became Special Olympics from when I was eight years old as a hugger, as a coach. I was deeply involved in issues affecting children with intellectual disabilities because I was kind of a family. Mm-hmm. It was a, you know, one of the traditional concerns of our family. This is Dr. Duncan McCollum and stepping in, and I'm playing an interview by Bobby Kennedy Jr. and Dr. Dan Pompa. And uh, Bobby has been talking about his exposure to mercury all the way back to 1984 and how he got interested in finding out about this. And then the information that he got, which devastated him and put him on a path to trying to turn around a lot of the deceptions and lies that are go up as far as possible. And he's now going to start talking about a woman that gave him 18 inches of paperwork that he had to go through. And halfway through, he decided this is going to be his life's work. She bought a big pile of scientific studies, about 18 inches thick, and she put them on my front porch and said, I'm not going to leave here till you read these. And I started paging through these studies and reading the abstracts. And I was, before I was three or four inches down in this pile, I recognized that there was a huge delta between what the government officials and public health regulators and pharmaceutical companies were telling us about vaccine safety and particularly about mercury and vaccines and what the actual peer-reviewed science was saying. And, you know, I had run into those kind of problems before because First of all, I was very comfortable reading science. I had wanted to be a scientist when I was a kid, and I had brought, by that time, over 500 lawsuits. And almost all of them uh, involved some kind of scientific controversy. So I had to be, be well-versed and, and, and comfortable reading science. I am. And... Um, and so, and then I did what I always would do if I ran into a problem that I didn't understand, which was to call somebody who knew what they were talking about. Yeah. And I started calling the health regulators and all of them would take my phone calls because my family was so deeply enmeshed with that community. My, um, my you know, the major institutions at NIH are named for members of my family, Kennedy Krieger and the Eunice Shriver Institute and my um, my uncle Ted Kennedy, who was my godfather, was uh, was the head of the health committee, the chair of the health committee in the US Senate for fifty years. And so he, you know, he was writing the budgets and supporting these agencies all the time. And we had our family was very, very friendly with them. And I started talking to people like Anthony Fauci and Francis Collins, who would take my phone call. And I also talked to Kathleen Stratton at the Institute of Medicine, Marie McCormick at the Institute of Medicine, and Paul Offit. And uh, who everybody knows. I mean, most people who are in this space know who Paul Offit is, which yeah, is well, he's- Yeah, Paul Offit, I, I don't know, right? Um, he's the quack watch. He despises anything outside of, you know, standard medicine, goes after every alternative person out there and has been a big proponent of vaccines and is responsible for shutting anyone that speaks anything negative about vaccines down. So there's a little history of Paul Offit, so go ahead. Yeah, and he's a vaccine developer, and he's kind of a corrupt, a corrupt individual. Um, 
who urges people to lie about, um, you know, we have private conversations with him, with other doctors, etc. He looks very credible. Yeah. And he has, you know, he, he occupies a chair at the Children's Hospital of, of um, Philadelphia that is funded by Merck. And he's a spokesperson for the vaccine industry, but he's been involved in a lot of corruption, a lot of scandals. He's still very well. He's kind of a media darling. And I had a conversation with him, you know, that he, they, uh, the dilemma that I presented with all, all these guys, it was a kind of a, an essential and obvious dilemma, which was that I knew at the CDC was telling pregnant women, you should not have any, you should not eat tuna fish. Because, and every state had advisories on, on local fish, tuna fish, to pregnant women. Mm-hmm. And so I was saying to them, how is it that we are recommending that pregnant women don't eat tuna fish because of the mercury? And yet we're giving them these megadoses of mercury that are hundreds of times EPA's declared safe levels when they're pregnant and they have little babies, and in, in particularly in the flu shots. Yeah. And they all kind of said the same thing. They, what they all did was they referred me to often. You know, Collins couldn't answer that question. Fauci couldn't answer that question. They said, you should talk to Paul often. It was odd because he's not even a federal regulator. Mm. And Paul Offit told me, um, well, he said, first of all, he said, I really love your father. So I was inclined to like this guy. Mm-hmm. He's very charming. and He's very well-spoken. And he's very con- convincing. And he said to me, and we had a long conversation, very friendly, which, by the way, I recorded at that point, I was getting the idea that these regulators either didn't know what they're talking about, they were not conversant with the science, they should have been conversant with, or they were deliberately lying. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I recorded that conversation, and Offit said to me that when I asked him, I posed him the question, how can we be recommending it for pregnant, you know, telling pregnant women don't eat fish and giving them this vaccine that's loaded with mercury? He said, well, the mercury in the vaccine, there's two kinds of mercury, Bobby. Yeah. There's good mercury and a bad mercury. <laughs> I've never and, heard of such a thing. Well, you know, I knew at that point that his argument was not with me. It was with the periodic tables because there is no such thing as good mercury. Um, there are different elemental forms of mercury and organic mercury that at the, the vaccine. Mercury is called ethyl mercury. Mm. Mercury in fish is called methylmercury, but actually when you look at the science that has been done, the ethylmercury is much more dangerous. Yeah. The ethylmercury in vaccines than the methylmercury in fish, they're, they're very, very dangerous. Mercury and, and, and is by the most, way, I remember a monkey study being done and they said, oh no, it, where they came up with this ethylmercury is the safe mercury was because we couldn't detect it in the monkey's bodies and therefore it's going right out of the body and it's the safe Mercury. Well, yeah, what happened is they, they looked at it in humans. Yeah. They gave kids tuna fish sandwiches and measured their mercury, and mercury was still in the blood 54 days later. This study was called Pichiero. He was a CDC author who did this study. 
and when they inject them with mercury, the ethyl mercury, the mercury was um, had completely exited the blood within a week. And his conclusion, Pichero's conclusion, this was a 2005 paper, yeah. was that uh, the mercury, therefore, had been excreted from the body. But a lot of people, including Dr. Boyd Haley, who was a chair of the yeah. chemistry department at the University of Kentucky, wrote letters to pediatrics, which is the journal that published that study, and said, wait a minute, um, what happened to the mercury? Because Pichero didn't find it in the feces or the sweat or the urine or the fingernails or the hair. Yeah. And, um, and so then... Um, the, the NIH, which at that time was still curious about this, they didn't realize how bad, you know, what a bad decision they had made. Uh, they actually commissioned a bunch of studies, and they commissioned a study by a guy called Burbacker, Thomas Burbacker, up in uh, um, Seattle. It was a very famous scientist. And he did monkey studies. Monkey studies, as you know, are very, very expensive. Yeah. And they cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. I think a single macaque monkey is $20,000. So nobody had done those studies. He did the same experiment where he injected them with mercury and he fed them tuna sandwiches and found the same thing. The blood, it was gone from the blood. The ethyl mercury from the vaccines was gone from the blood in a week. But then when he sacrificed yeah. monkeys and did postmortems on them, he found that why it had left the blood, because ethyl mercury crosses the blood-brain barrier right. much more easily than does uh, methyl mercury. So the ethyl mercury was, had not left the bodies. It had just gone to the brain. And as soon as it got to the brain, hmm. it metabolized very quickly into organic mercury, which is the most toxic form yeah. of the element. And by the way, we're talking about an element that is already the most toxic um, element that we know of in the universe yeah. that is not radioactive mercury everybody knows you don't give lead to children in any form but mercury is a thousand times more neurotoxic than lead i wake so um so it was going into the brain and it was never coming out it was staying there forever there's later studies that have found it 27 years later in the brain and, you know, in human beings and cadavers. So I said that to Offit during this conversation. He said, I said, how do you know that, Paul? You know, that the, that the, that the blood, you know, that it, it disappears from the body. It's excreted very quickly. And he said, well, there was this study by a guy called Pichero. And I said, well, are you familiar with the Burbacher studies? And it was dead silence on the phone. And I realized he is... He knows the Burbacher studies. He is aware of that hole in the argument. And it, the reason he brought up Pichero is because he did not believe that I would be familiar with it. And when I, it was, it was a moment on that phone call when he knew that he had been caught in a lie. And I knew that he had been caught in a lie. And he knew that I knew that he had been caught in a lie. And then he just said, well, you're right, Bobby. It's not just that one study. It's a whole mosaic of studies. And at that point, you know, I've seen that. Uh, I've seen that line used before. 
um, during cross-examination of expert witnesses when they you know, run out of things to say, when they can no longer defend the science. And they say, well, it's not just this study. It's all mosaic of studies. And, uh, and then you say the next question, well, what can you give me some citations? And, it's, uh, and then it's dead air. Oh, and that's what happened. And, and he hung up the phone. And um, I, you know, at that point, I was angry because I knew these, this guy was a very influential guy who all the federal regulators were saying, Here, he's the guy that we pay attention to. He's yeah. the guy that we take our signals from. And that he knew that all these kids were being poisoned. And he was letting it happen. So we're listening to an interview with Dr. Dan Pompa and Bobby Kennedy Jr. And Bobby Kennedy was just talking about a conversation he had with a very important individual named Paul Offit and how he caught him in a lie. This whole transcript can be found on childrenshealthdefense.org, Bobby Kennedy's station, and also on Dr. Pompa's Cell TV, episode 329. Hey, this is Dr. Duncan McCollum. Thanks a lot for tuning in. You know, you've heard me talk about this amazing new machine called the TRT machine or the Tissue Regenerative Technology Machine. We've had such amazing results and um, I really want you to experience it. So I'm still offering the $49 special. Um, I'm going to play a little snip from my friend and patient. He's talked before and let's just listen to what he has to say about his treatment with the TRT machine. I have Gary here, just got his fourth treatment on your knee. And even from the first treatment, he had some success and results. So can you tell us? A year and two months ago, I got knocked down by a horse and I got a grade two pull on my hamstring. And from there, everything went to hell. Uh, basically, uh, I was walking three and a half miles a day. I went from that to walking less and less and because it was so painful. And my other knee started hurting me. And then I stepped off a ladder and jammed my knee. It took me the next morning five minutes by the time I stood up to get out of my bedroom. It was so painful. At the same time, I found out about the TRT from the doc, and I knew that that was for me. So, almost feeling completely normal. So, it's been great. I was walking stiff, stiff knee on one side because it was just flopping out of place. Now I can bend my knee and walk. I totally recommend this one time. And you'll just go, whoa. So that's it, the TRT machine or the tissue regenerative technology machine. I highly recommend you check it out. If you want to go to trtllc.com, like trtlimitedliability.com, you can find out about this. Um, people are calling it the stem cell machine. It's just phenomenal. So you definitely want to give it a try. Give our call office a call. 459-9990-831-459-9990. Hi, this is Dr. Duncan McCollum back, um, and I'm going to now continue with the Bobby Kennedy Jr. and Dr. Dan Pompa show. And uh, now comes in Lynn Redwood, who is now Bobby Kennedy's partner at Children's Health Defense, but she introduced to him a paper called the Simpson Woods paper transcripts of a hidden private meeting with some of the top officials in the country that are going to, and the contents of this is going to blow you away. And then I came across uh, Lynn Redwood 
who is now my partner at the Children's Health Defense. She's a nurse practitioner. Mm -hmm. She's an advisor to the Pentagon and HHS, an extraordinary woman. And she um, was a public health official in Georgia. Her kid, her child, her son was injured by vaccines and a very, very um, serious autism. Nonverbal, non-toilet trained, really uh, devastating autism. And she was able to recover him um, by, and he's now in college, uh, by removing the mercury. When I was a kid, I got three vaccines. My, uh, today's children get 72 doses of 16 vaccines. And the, the big change happened in 1989. The reason it happened in 1989, we have to go back to 1980. The a new vaccine was recommended, which was a diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis vaccine, which a very, very bad vaccine. Yeah, DPT. And it ended up killing a lot of kids, and it ended up giving brain damage to even more. I think one out of every 300 kids were getting injured. It's amazing. That's a lot of kids when you give it to, two, you know, to 76 million kids. Yeah. There's a lot of injuries. And we, that, was in, that was in 1980 when that was introduced. Began in 1980, and it, that now is banned in the United States, that DTP vaccine, but we still give it to every child. Bill Gates gives it to every child in Africa, knowing that it was so dangerous that we banned it in the United States. He's giving it every year to 161 million um, African kids, which is just is a genocide in my view. Um, yeah, and, it's amazing more people aren't aware of that, by the way. Yeah, well, he's aware of it because the Danish government financed a big study and came out um, in e-biopharma. It's a study called Morganson that came out in e-biopharma in January, January um, 2017, where they looked at his vaccine and they said, and these, you know, this, this absolutely stellar collection, the A-team of African vaccine scientists, uh, Morganson, which is one of them, Peter A.A.B., who's uh, this, this iconic name in vaccine science, um, and all of them pro-vaccine people, scientists. They came back and they actually looked at, they did a study of vaccinated African children and compared them to unvaccinated, and the vaccinated ones, girls, had 10 times the death rate of unvaccinated. And they were dying of, mainly they were dying of pneumonia, but they were also dying of bilharzia and anemia and, uh, and uh, dysentery and malaria and all these other illnesses. Nobody had ever linked them to vaccines. So nobody had ever said, oh, the ones who are dying are all vaccinated kids because they would die a few months later of some infection. Nobody really remembered, oh, this you know, the only, the only ones who are dying are the ones who got the vaccines, and the vaccines were protecting these children against diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis. Um, but they had ruined their immune systems, yeah. and they were dying of these other infections, and particularly, as I said, pneumonia. But anyway, in 19, so we had that, that vaccine started killing all these kids, causing really severe brain damage. And this is the subject of Andy's movie. Yes, and I mentioned at the top of the show the uh, the 1986 the act, and this is what you're referencing coming up. Yeah, Andy Wakefield's movie is about this chronology. But what happened? And I'm not sure if he has this whole story in it. But what happened is Wyeth, which is now Pfizer, 
went to Congress with all the other vaccine makers. There's four big companies that make most of our vaccines. Lilly was making some back then too, which is now not making vaccines, but um, they went to Congress and Wyeth said, we're losing $20 in downstream liabilities. So people suing us for damages, because back then you could sue them for every $1 that we're making in, back in sales. And and they said, and this is really the subject of Andy Wakefield's movie, they said, we cannot make these, this vaccine or any vaccine safely. They all kill people. You cannot make them safe. There's a certain number of people who are just going to get killed or injured. And so we're not going to make them anymore unless you give us blanket immunity from liability. And that's what Congress did. And that was in 1986? That was 86. And then, you know, there was a gold rush because suddenly you had Congress removed the biggest cost for every medicine, which is downstream liability. The industry looked around and said, holy cow, now we have a, um, a product that nobody can ever sue us for, no matter how negligent we are, no matter how sloppy our line protocols, no matter how uh, toxic the ingredients, we cannot be sued. Us, the industry had another huge exemption, which was which represented an enormous cost savings, which is they don't have to test vaccines. The only medication never has to be safety tested. And that actually is an artifact of CDC's legacy as the public health service. So CDC used to be known as the public health service. That was a military agency, which is why people at CDC have military ranks, like Surgeon General, and they wear uniforms. And the vaccine program was conceived as a national security defense against biological attacks on our country. So they wanted to make sure that, um, that if the Russians attacked us with anthrax or some other biological agent, they could quickly fabricate and deploy a vaccine to 200 million American civilians with no regulatory impediments. They said, if we call it a medicine, we're going to have to test it for five years against placebos. And we don't want to do that. And that's a huge expense. So we want to, get, we want to, so we'll, we'll call it something else. We'll call it biologics. And we'll make a rule that you don't have to safety test biologics. So not, you know, we sued the HHS two years ago and said, show us any safety test for any vaccine. And they were never, they were unable to come up with a single safety test for any vaccine of the 72 that are now mandated for our kids. So anyway, the, the, there was a gold rush. They added all these new vaccines to the schedule, some of them for ridiculous things like the hepatitis B vaccine, which kids have zero risk of, of dying from hepatitis B. Kids whose mothers are not infected and have zero risk. Uh, they have no risk uh, exposures. And and yeah, we're giving them all these vaccines. In, and in, in 1989, I mean, because of that 1986 act, where we don't have to, the drug companies don't have to prove safety anymore. In 1989, statistics started changing dramatically. Well, yeah, so it, that year is the year the chronic disease epidemic began. Yeah. We're already seeing some chronic diseases earlier. For example, in 1940, the level of chronic disease in this country was 6%, which is probably what it ought to be you know, in an industrialized society. 
uh, around 6%. But by, um, by 86, it had gone up to 12.8%. Wow. And then um, immediately after the vaccine schedule changed in 1989 is the beginning of what we call the vaccine generation. Those are the kids who received all of this battery of new vaccines, huge levels of aluminum, huge levels of mercury, all the other toxic exposures. Oh, that's 89 and 89 is really the kind of the floor of these this explosion of chronic disease and beginning that year it went up to 54 percent it's probably even much higher now yeah because that study that hhs study that says 54 percent was made in 2006 mm. and that was before we added the hpv vaccine which is right. one of the worst vaccines so um so anyway, by 95, autism particularly takes five years to diagnose. It takes 4.2 years to diagnose. The kids who were getting all these vaccines in 89 began showing autism in 95. And then the autism, and so then there was a panic in the public health agencies because autism went from my generation one in 10,000. Yeah to, you know, the, the generation probably in 86, it was one in 2,500, that's what the data show. Um, but uh, it immediately went to one in 600, and now, you know, today it's one in 34 kids were getting it. So there was a huge dramatic, but also a whole bunch of other illnesses, all these neurodevelopmental illnesses that affected boys, you know, disproportionately to girls. ADD, ADHD, special yeah. aid, um, tics, Tourette's syndrome, narcolepsy, um, ASD, autism, and then the autoimmune diseases like rheumatoid arthritis and juvenile diabetes that just exploded. And um, Yeah, and by then, the way, you had something on your site. It was, uh, according to uh, Walter, I think his name is Zorhade or something of that sort, but 175% increase since 2000, the year of 2000, on autism uh, estimates. I mean, that's a massive increase. In, in yeah, it's, it's a massive And, you know, one of the things that CDC initially was saying in the early days, oh, well, we're just seeing, you know, it's not really an epidemic because if it's an epidemic, if they admit it's an epidemic, then it's their job to tell us where it's coming from. And they knew where it was coming from, and I'm going to tell you how in a minute, but they knew so their their only response they knew it was coming from the vaccines their only strategy was to say it's an illusion you know that it doesn't really exist right that was that, in better diagnosis better diagnosis yeah, better diagnosis or expanded diagnostic criteria but that was in 2000 and since then it's gone up again you know, 175 percent. So you can't keep saying that every year, though. Yeah. Just getting better and better and better at diagnosis. At some point, you have to admit it's an epidemic. And listen, if if you get 700 measles cases in this country, they will suit up. CDC will suit up, which is called the Center for Disease Control. That's what those letters stand for. They'll suit up. 1,400 forensic pathologists in moon suits and respirators, yeah. and they'll go out and turn over every stone and find out where that measles is coming from. 
700 cases. We got three and a half million autism cases. Yeah. And they're not telling us where it's coming from. Right. Oh, you know, and it's because they know. And I'm going to explain to you what happened. In 1999, they were, you know, people were running around CDC saying, we need to figure out where this is coming from. That's right. our job. So they got a Belgian researcher named Thomas Verstrat. And he, um, and they said, look at the vaccine safety data link, which is the biggest repository for vaccine and health information. That is the, um, that's where all of the health data and the vaccine data down to batch number is archived um, by CDC. And it's all the data from the 10 biggest HMOs. Mm. So all you have to do is look at that data and you can figure out pretty quickly where any illness is coming from. Of course. Oh, he went in there first and the thing they wanted to look at particularly was mercury and the kind of the big vaccine that was a suspect then was the hepatitis B vaccine, which was being given to these kids on the day of birth. And then, you know, there are four or four or five shots at that time. I think there's five today. Uh, I hepatitis, but so he took kids who had gotten the hepatitis B vaccine in the first 30 days of life and compared them to kids who did not. So those second group, which was the control group, he either got them after 30 days or they got them, or they didn't get them at all. And when he made that comparison, they were stunned because they found an 1,135% greater risk of getting autism if you got it during the first 30 days. And, and that is known in, uh, in statisticians' parlance or epidemiologists' parlance as a relative risk of 11.35. So just for sake of comparison, relative risk for smoking a pack of cigarettes a day for, um, for 20 years is 10. And a relative risk of two, which is a doubling of the risk, is regarded as causation, proof of causation, absent some other um, extenuating circumstances. You know, for example, uh, there is a very high correlation between yellow fingers and lung cancer. Yeah. But the yellow fingers are not causing the lung cancer. Right. right? So, so you have to look at if if, causa if causation is biologically plausible. Yellow fingers, it's not plausible that it's giving you lung cancer. Right. Um, if the if causation is biologically plausible, then a relative risk of two is considered proof of causation, and they uh, they had a relative risk of eleven point three five. You're listening to KSCO. This is Stepping in Radio with Duncan McCollum with an interview by Bobby Kennedy Jr. and Dan Papa. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Dr. Duncan McCollum. Thanks a lot for tuning in. You know, you've heard me talk about this amazing new machine called the TRT machine or the Tissue Regenerative Technology Machine. We've had such amazing results and um, I really want you to experience it. So I'm still offering the $49 special. Um, I'm going to play a little snip from my friend and patient, Noel. I've, he's talked before. He's a diabetic patient. And let's just listen to what he has to say about his treatment with the TRT machine. You don't realize how much you use your toes for balance until they're 
there's no feeling in them. And so I've got the feeling back in my toes and my balance is greatly improved. Definitely recommend it. So that's it, the TRT machine or the tissue regenerative technology machine. I highly recommend you check it out. If you want to go to trtllc.com, like trtlimitedliability.com, you can find out about this. Um, People are calling it the stem cell machine. It's just phenomenal. So you definitely want to give it a try. Give our call office a call. 459-9990-831-459-9990. 459-9990-831-459-9990. Hi, this is Duncan McCollum with Stepping In, and we're listening to Dan Pompa, Dr. Dan Pompa, and to Bobby Kennedy Jr. Now we're getting into the Simpson Wood Papers, which uh, Bobby's going to talk about things that the CDC, World Health Organization, and NIH knew, and here we go. Oh, we've now recovered a flurry of emails where Vatiper Stratton is talking to his panicked bosses. And one of the emails is titled, It Just Won't Go Away. And he says in that, I've run the data, I've rerun it, I've, I've tried everything again, and the autism signal will not go away. Oh, they called a, um, an emergency meeting. They hit, it was a DEFCON one, five alarm fire at CDC. And they all, and they did not, they wanted to have a meeting with all the people who are involved in vaccines. 52 people, the top guy at WHO, FDA, NIH, CDC, um, all of the vaccine companies, their top people, and then all the academics who, you know, who are on the industry payroll. Are studying vaccine and they they called an emergency meeting and everybody flew into georgia they didn't want to do the meeting at cdc headquarters right because they thought it would be susceptible to the freedom of information laws they they found a secretive remote um place uh, a methodist retreat center on the banks of the chattahoochee river in the woods and it was called simpson wood yeah and they all met there for two days and and we don't know why, but somebody made a transcript of that meeting. Yeah. You know, somebody was recording. Yeah, it's shocking. And it's shocking what was said in that yeah, meeting. It was. It, it was. And, and people who want to read the full transcript, it's on our website at CHD. Yeah, you should, uh, you know, go to child healthdefense.org. Would you know where it is on that? But you should read this. No, this I don't. I'm not very good at that. Yeah. It's supposed to be very um, user-friendly. Our it is, website. I, I, it is yeah. very user-friendly, but... Yeah, and people can find it because I, I've talked about it before and people have gone there. The thing is, it's kind of long, so it may be... It, it, it's probably a better strategy to go to my Rolling Stone article because this is how I got it. This was... This whole, um, this whole chronology yeah. is my way of explaining how I got into this because I got a whole... Lynn Redwood gave me that transcript. And the first day, it's a two-day meeting, and the first day, they're all talking about how bulletproof the science is. And he said, mm. as we're causing it, there's no way around it. This is real. One after the other, they say, it's real. There's nothing we can do. There's no mistake here. You could hire somebody and pay somebody to say it wasn't real, but no real scientist would do that. All of these things. 
one of the guys, um, I think his name is Stephen Johnson. He's from the University of Colorado, and he was one of the leaders of the meeting. And a big vaccine guy, he steps out for a few minutes, and then he comes back in, and he says, my grandson was just born. He's the first male of our lineage, and I can tell you, we are not going to give him a vaccine until we figure this out. He said, begging all of your pardons. Um, we're, we're not going to do that. So they, they spend a day talking about how horrible it is. And the second day, they talk about how to hide it from the American public. Hmm. And, you know, they, they think yeah, we're going to collect, the collect all the studies. We're going to embargo them. Um, everybody here has got to agree. We're not going to release any of this information. we got to keep this secret. It's like a, it's like a huge criminal conspiracy. Yeah. And um, so Lynn Redwood, who I never heard of before, um, got me a copy of that transcript. And when I read that, you know, that's when it was all over for me because, you know, I could not unsee what I'd, I'd seen. And it was like, you know, for me, it was like watching, you know, if, if I had been at in the train station at Krakow, in 1937 and seeing, you know, people being loaded up in the sense of death camps. Yeah. And I, and knowing that if I talked about it, you know, my career would be over and there'd be a lot of bad things would happen, but I, you know, what can you do? You can't put your head down and just pretend it's not happening. And, and it was clear to me at that point that we were just butchering an entire generation of American children in the most horrific way. If you see these kids, you know, who have severe autism, if you, what it does to their families, oh. what it does, a child is locked in a, it, you know, I would rather be in Abu grave for two decades and to have, you know, to, to live the life that those kids are living, where there's yeah. no joy, where it's all, I'm not talking about Asperger's syndrome, I'm talking about severe true autism with yeah. the gut aches and the IBS and the Crohn's disease and all of these, you know, your head in, in pain all the time so much that these children spend the day banging their head against the wall. Yeah. It bleeds over to their skulls crack because there's so much pain in their brains. And the sensitivity to the light mm. and the sensitivity to touch um, and the total isolation from human emotion and from human contact and social interaction. So love. If you're in Abu Ghraib, at least you have an interaction occasionally with the, with the guards, even if you're being tortured. And these kids are deprived. You know, their lives are not just twilighted. They're, oh. it's, a, it's a nightmare of hell. And, it, you know, and then there's a whole other category who are just who are nonverbal and non-toilet training, but half of the kids look like this. There's three million kids, half of them look like that, and they're, you know, these are children who will never, um, you know, go out on a date. These were kids who, in many cases, they were aggressive. They were leaders. They were kids who would have led exemplary lives. You know, they were exceeding all milestones for social interaction, for language, for athleticism and then you know suddenly they get that vaccine and they're they get a yeah. seizure they get a fever they get a seizure and three months later they're you know it's all gone 
and they're in this nightmare, and they're, they're never going to go on a date, they're never going to write a poem, they're never going to vote an election, they're never going to serve in the military, they're never going to hit a home run or even a base hit. They'll never pick up a baseball bat. Um, and, you know, they're not going to, uh, they're not going to run for election. You're listening to McCollum Wellness Radio. Okay, so this is Dr. Duncan McCollum, and now we're going to move into COVID-19. Dr. Papa and Bobby Kennedy Jr.'s thoughts about the safety of a vaccine and whether it's possible, and also about the fact that the number of diagnosed autism children right now is 1 in 29 for boys, and in Ireland, it's 1 out of 15 boys has autism. And if that's not an epidemic, I don't know what is. But, you know, but no one wants to talk about it. I mean, here we are at this time of COVID, right? And we have, you know, people wearing masks, shutting down the economy for three months. And when you compare these epidemics, you know, you're talking about, you know, one in 50. Matter of fact, I have to say this. This was lost in the COVID uh, thing right now is it was one in 59 children. And during COVID, it actually dropped to one in 54 children, just as you described you know, on the autism spectrum. You know, you can't even compare these epidemics and yet, you know, all this attention to COVID and yet we're, we're missing this. It's so sad, Bobby. Yeah, and the, you know, the, the CDC numbers are all over the place, but they take them state by state and there's some states and, they, and, and it, the system for counting is not, is designed to undercount. Yeah. And in fact, the CDC is right now being sued by a woman named um, Judith Pinborough uh, Zimmerman, who was the, the the chief of the ADDM, which is the group that counts autism cases, or Utah, which is a key state. And she says, you know, we are systematically required to lie for CDC to minimize the autism numbers, but we're seeing numbers now that are um, some of the states, I think New Jersey had numbers that look like 1 in 34 and 1 in 22 boys. That's right. By the way, yeah, 1 in 34. But again, during COVID, these last three months, it's now down to 1 in 32 in New Jersey. So again, nobody even knows of those oh, yeah. numbers. So nobody saw it, right? Nobody saw that. And that probably is the national number. It's just not being re- recorded. You know, they make it, they, they choose states that have... Um, bad accounting systems in order to manufacture the national numbers to make it, to give us the illusion that it's not as bad as it's supposed to be. But if you look at um, the numbers that just came out for Northern Ireland, where they have a much better accounting system, the numbers are now down to, uh, I think it's one in 15 boys. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's, you know, people... I, in, you know, the media is not covering any of it. I mean, no, yet, you the media know, is not allowed to because pharma owns the media. Yeah. One, one in three uh, commercials on television are big pharma. I think 70% of their income is from big pharma, so they don't touch it. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's not really the pharmaceutical advertisements are about 8% of total income. But if you look at the... Um, the shows that matter, which is a huge amount of their income. Oh, but if you look at the shows that matter, like the news shows, 
it can get up to 70% during non-election years. And Roger Ailes told me that um, typically there's 22 ads on an evening show and that on an evening news show and that you can have 17 of those will be pharmaceutical and that because that's one they want to control the news content yeah and two that the evening news is the audience that they want to hit because it's a very it's an it's an elderly audience um and kids do not look at you know uh, television news right it's all older people, and those are the people that they're trying to reach with their no, drugs. So Anderson Cooper is sponsored by Pfizer. Aaron Burnett is sponsored by Pfizer. Lester Hulk is sponsored by Merck. Merck, and you know these people are not newscasters; they're pharmaceutical reps at this point. You know, Sanjay Gupta has sold his soul. Um, they know what's happening, they and do. they know they can't report it. They know because I keep writing them letters saying, "Here's the data." And you're lying about it. Yeah, well, well look, Sanjay yeah, I urge people to read my, I wrote a letter, long letter to Sanjay Gupta about the, his reporting on the flu shot. Just the systematic lies from CNN. It's a very polite, civil letter, but it is reprinted on Children's Health Defense website. And it's a really good resource for people who want to confront their own doctors and say, because it has all the embedded sites, and it shows that, you know, flu shots don't work, uh, that you have to give 100 flu shots to, to um, avert one case of flu, that flu shots, um, that there's no evidence that flu shots prevent any deaths or any hospitalizations, that when you get the flu shot, you're actually transmitting flu, really horrendously transmitting flu. All the mythology of flu shots. Which, is, by the way, I have to say, seven out of ten petitions submitted to the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program are from influenza uh, vaccination. Uh, it's the most. Uh, it is the most damaging vaccine. Which you know, nine hundred million dollars. We're talking about payouts in injury uh, due to influenza. Which brings me to this modern day right now. You know, everybody with bated breath is waiting for the vaccine for COVID, right? It's a uh, matter of fact, it's, you know, we don't even want to open things up completely in the economy until the vaccine is created. You had said it takes five years of safety studies to actually produce a vaccine. And what happened with uh, Moderna, that's the company, it was all over CNN, right? And all the reports that, oh, this is the miracle vaccine. And we have this uh, safety study that volunteers uh, you know, volunteered to get the vaccine, bypassing animal studies, what people didn't hear was three of the 15 in the high dose group had severe reactions, hospitalized, and yet you mentioned Sanjay Gupta. Uh, before this gentleman, I believe, yeah, Ian Hayden, where did he go? Because he was the hero, and then he was talking about, you know, he was the healthy volunteer. Well, evidently, he got so sick, he passed out, was hospitalized, and he was telling Sanjay Gupta about this right before they went on, on air. And he and Sanjay Gupta said, well, let's not talk about that, you know, because we want this company to be the hero. Uh, you wrote an article about that. I mean, what's your whole take on this vaccine? Is it even possible? What's, what do you think is going to happen? Well, I mean, let me answer that question first, a broad answer, because I, I think a lot of people are waiting for a vaccine. And there's nobody who would rather, you know, I would love to see if we got a vaccine. It actually does what 
people say it's going to do what Bill Gates and everybody else are kind of leading people to believe this is why we need a vaccine. And that, that model is that you get the vaccine, you get one shot, and you're protected for the rest of your life from the disease and that there's no injuries or that the injury rate from that, that shot is so low that, you know, it's infinitesimal. Um, that it's that, that, yeah. that no injuries are going to be caused. So chances of that happening, of that scenario, I would say are zero. Um, it's all magical thinking. And you think about this. We've had a flu shot since 1930, 90 years. And the flu shot originally promised that that's what it was going to do. You take one flu shot, you're protected for life from the flu. And then they find out that the virus is actually cleverer than that. And so now they say, well, now we have to take it every year, which is a great thing for the company because they don't just sell you one for life. They're selling them to you every year. They suck you in like they did with measles and everything else and chickenpox by saying, one, and you're good for life. That's what the, you know, the virus does for you. Um, and, you know, that's what the vaccine is going to do, but it doesn't work that way. And you have to keep getting them again and again and again and again. And every time you do, there's a risk. Yeah. And then the other thing is that the Cochrane Collaboration did a series of Cochrane Collaboration. You know what it is. It's, yeah. the, it's a group, it's the biggest, most reputable group that does independent science on, and it does all oversight. Uh, pharmaceutical science. So it's 30,000 of the top scientists in the world mm-hmm. who are overlooking the science journals because the science journals are completely controlled by the industry. And Cochrane Collaboration came in and did two um, large scale meta reviews, one in 2010, and I think the other one was in 2014 uh, on the flu shot. And they found a number of things. Number one, you need to take, you need to give out 100 flu shots to avert one case of the flu. So, and the, 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 there's no evidence that the people who you really want to target for to protect, which are seniors, because they're the people who can die from the flu. You're not going to give 100 million flu shots, protect, uh, you know, a million teenagers from getting symptoms. This is Dr. Duncan McCollum from McCollum Family Chiropractic. Thanks for listening. And if you want to hear this in, in its entirety, go to Dr. Dan Pompa's YouTube channel, Cellular Healing TV, episode 329. We will see you soon. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This information is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease, even if it does.